Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DDK Pod, the podcast where three guys who founded an IT company talk IT industry news and topics that interest us. My name's Julian Day. With me, as always, are my two co-hosts, Jatinda Candola and Will Dalton. How are you guys? Good, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> I'm a bit hungover, I have to say. Oh, oh great. Yeah, well, it was Easter weekend, wasn't it? So yeah, we're recording was, this yeah. on the Tuesday just after Easter. Um, yeah. I've already stumbled twice in the intro, so it's going to yeah, go well, well today, I feel. It was yeah. very slick, I felt. <laughs> I know. Uh, why can't I talk? Me of all people, the most talkative person ever. <laughs> Just before we started recording, Will <laughs> dropped the bombshell that he has no control over his cockerel. <laughs> so, so uh, if we That's get according to my wife. Uh, oh gosh, oh, no, no. So if uh, if we do get random crowing, it, it's not one of us. It's uh, it's a cockerel, an actual genuine cockerel in the background. No, a genuine cockerel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, as opposed to a fake one. You know. Anywho. <laughs> What are we talking about? Let's do this. Can you get a fake cockerel? I'm pretty sure you can get like a rubber one or something. In China. I'll have some in China. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps the birds away. A fake cockerel. Maybe there's a gap in the market. Maybe that's our USP. Anyway, can we get on with the news? Uh, Will, go do you on. want to go first? <laughs> so an extraordinary particle, W boson particle. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's been on the news. Basically, it breaks all our understanding of how the universe works. So it's, it's, a, it's a slight... This has a slight impact. In The Guardian, W boson. Do you know what a W boson is, anyone? I know what a Higgs boson is. Is it, yes. is it anything to do with it's, the Higgs so boson? It's another, one, it's another one of those. Bosons are, so there's two types of, so this is all to do with the standard model for, for particles. Yeah. And there are two types of particles. Particles that make up matter and particles that are to do with force. That, mm. that keeps that matter together, which basically makes you or I and stops us drifting into dust, basically. And W boson is like is like another type of Higgs boson. And they've okay. discovered they've discovered, well, they discovered they did the experiment about ten years ago in America, and they've been wading through the data. Can you believe for ten for ten years, four hundred scientists over ten years have been wading through the data of four hundred trillion collisions and collisions is if you know the hadron collider this is where they are basically fire two particles at each other around a loop that is uh, miles in radius traveling near the speed of speed of light these two particles smash them together to see what's inside to see if the if their theories are correct and these theories have been formulated since you know since the 70s they basically they finalized the theory and they've been trying to prove it ever since. The Higgs boson, actually, that they discovered in the Hadro Collider about 10 years ago, proved the theories, and this disproves the theories. And it's pretty important because this theory, this standard model, as I said, describes everything. It describes how all the, little, uh, all the particles fit together, how it makes you or I and everything in the universe. And if this, if this particular experiment is proven right, it, 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 these particular theories are no longer correct. It means we have to really start again, which actually isn't such a bad thing anyway, because the theories could never bring together the, the theories of the very large, as in general theory of relativity, and the theory of the very small, as in quantum. They, the, this one particular theory could never bring together, and, and physicists have been wondering why you know, they couldn't bring together. And this may be a stepping stone uh, towards proving or to, towards bringing these two theories together. So 
Big news in the physics world. Wow. I hadn't actually heard about that. That's fascinating. Amazing. So was was Peter Higgs involved in this? I suppose I suppose he's no, it was no. ages ago, wasn't it? That and he Higgs, came up with a theory. Higgs, well, Higgs, yeah, exactly. He came it was up like with like nineteen nineteen sixties, I think. It was something like that. was postulated. Yeah. yeah. And it only yeah. proven in twenty twelve, actually. Yes. His theory yeah, was yeah. only proven in twenty twelve through the uh, Hadron Collider through particle. And then this one is is disproving. So uh, which, which is another type of boson. Yeah, so it's, it is. I find physics fascinating anyway. I don't understand what's going on, but I find it fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go and have to read about that because it's, yeah, it is interesting, isn't it, with the nuclear forces and everything, the strong strong That's and weak right, nuclear yeah. force That's and, and yeah, all that yeah. kind of yeah. stuff. Look it's, at you. Look at you, Dr. Julian. <laughs> yeah, any physicists who are listening to this are going to go, uh, no. <laughs> it's, clear. it's very obvious this man is well, not Well, you've a impressed physicist. me. You've impressed me. You know what? You only need to know a little bit more than the person you're speaking to to be an expert. Well, that applies to many things in life, doesn't it? <laughs> it applies to everything. Um, it applies to absolutely everything. So, yeah, you've, you've wowed me with your physical prowess. But the, but the key is to be honest about everything and explain it in ways that everybody can understand, and that's indeed, the DDK indeed. values. Yeah. yeah, Coolio. Okay, well, so my story is a lot less nice than that and, and you know, fascinating future, you know, future redefining amazing discoveries in physics. Mine is, uh, is about um, insider trading within Activision because everybody needs a boost in their morale at the moment, so why not talk about a story like this? Um, sorry, <laughs> Will, I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, sent the tone spiralling back into oh, depression cool. and misery yeah. now. Sounds interesting, actually. So your friend of mine, Bobby Kotick, CEO of, of Activision Blizzard, presiding over a horrendous frat boy culture of people oh, yeah, you know, abusing this. female employees and sexually harassing people and all sorts, spectacularly failed to, to fire himself or get or resign or be fired or anything else, still in charge somehow. And Microsoft comes along and scoops up Activision Blizzard. And now, brilliantly, the US mm-hmm. government is probing Activision Blizzard and specifically Bobby Kotick and a few other people at the top to see whether or not they tipped off a bunch of their mates to buy some shares before the Microsoft acquisition deal was announced. Because Genius. Just when you think Bobby Kotick can't do anything any more awesome, he decides to start doing this. Although obviously it hasn't been 100% proved yet, but I mean, oh, for heaven's sake, like what is going on here? Like, <laughs> it's one of the biggest companies in, in tech, you know, one of the richest, most you know, influential games companies in the world, you know, influential tech companies in the world. It's so massive and... Who, Microsoft or Activision Blizzard? Uh, I was talking about Activision or Blizzard, both. but I guess I guess you could apply equally to both, actually, because both mm. are huge in gaming and both are very influential. I'm not sure I'm throwing anything at Microsoft here because I don't think they're being probed. So the, so the story that I read on the register specifically was about the US government looking into Activision itself mm. and, and mentioned mm. Bobby Kotick specifically as being under investigation for insider trading. I don't think there's any... He continues to paint himself in glory, doesn't he? Well, he's certainly painting himself in money. I'm not sure about glory, but yeah. Well, he I won't mean... have any money if he's found guilty, will he? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously the sanctions for that can be pretty big. But yeah, what a thoroughly depressing story this is. And I'm sure Microsoft are really pleased they're acquiring a company <laughs> that's got all this horrendous press around it at the moment. But Because I remember we talked about this in one of our news stories before, actually, the Microsoft did, acquisition. Yeah. And I, was, I think, I don't know whether we alluded to the fact whether they got it cheap anyway because of the scandals that they'd had either that year or the previous year. In terms of their market value, where their share price went down a lot, didn't it, due to these particular yeah. scandals? Possibly they made themselves vulnerable to uh, a takeover mm. 
and and so on with the sort of frat gate or whatever you want to call it scandal mm-hmm. that's been going quite rightly going around as well. I mean, I mean, good on the rest of the industry for hammering the point home about this because the working culture has been pretty disgusting and, you know, it's just horrendous really the way people were treated within that company. But yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if, if it would have happened anyway kind of thing. I, mm. I don't actually, I haven't done enough research to be able to comment on that in a sensible way, so I won't comment on it. But it is just another thing, you know, it's just another problem at, at this company and they're, they're still not getting rid of him. And any of the other management people responsible for this and everywhere you look, it just looks more and more rotten, you know, there's more well, and more Well, it's a shame problems. on the company, isn't it? Because we don't know whether, I mean, you know, it's the top, isn't it? Or whether it's an individual or whether that particular individual has shaped the culture of his organisation and oh, know, I mean, influenced it all. I, well, the the thing you can say with certainty is that he hasn't done anything about the poisonous culture mm-hmm. in the way that he should have done because the buck stopped with him right. and it wasn't him necessarily as an individual who was going around abusing people it was people on his watch effectively right. other people you know the yeah. whole the whole culture was wrecked from top to bottom really in a lot of ways uh, not everybody i mean i'm sure there are some really wonderful people yeah. working at Activision yeah. Blizzard but you know that there was a problem within the company and ultimately when you are the CEO, you know, the buck stops with you for dealing with that problem. And he didn't deal with it. And not only that, but when it was revealed that he hadn't dealt with it, he didn't go, which a lot of other people have um, right. in similar companies where similar problems have been revealed. So he mm-hmm. didn't do the decent thing. You know, he's just hung out, hung around. A bit and- like Boris. <laughs> don't, don't start yeah, that. You thought it, I said it. I'm sure, I'm sure our listeners were thinking it as well. Well, uh, uh, yeah, anyway, let's not All bring, right, let's, let's not, not bring politics not, into that, particularly political. since we have, Particularly since we have government clients. But yes, I mean, you know. We did. <laughs> uh, I'm going to stop this conversation right here. Jatinda, what's your news story? So uh, mine is somewhere in between both yours and Will's in that there is a very controversial company called Clearview uh, that has scooped up lots of pictures of all of us from social media companies illegally. And they've got lots of legal challenges against them from Facebook, YouTube, Google, Twitter. UK government as well. But they are doing some good with all of that illegal data. They're trying to help the Ukrainian government use Clearview's database and AI to help recognize uh, from images of dead and missing people who they are. So they can try to contact families and make sure that whoever these people are, that they can get them help uh, if, if they're people that are missing, start to raise awareness of who they are as well. And if they have unfortunately passed away, they can kind of make sure that their loved ones are aware of who they are. So that's what the news story is. It's about the Ukrainian government being supported by this company called Clearview to use their AI and their database of imagery to recognise people in a war scenario at the moment. Oh, what an unbelievably grim task. Is that Clearview yeah. nicking images that they don't own is that the problem correct oh. they've been doing that for years but they're now oh, obviously right. using them <laughs> now they're just using it for a good life. cause yeah. yeah after so long so so were they doing mm. that in order to train their ai their facial recognition ai or something stealing the pictures correct or? yeah ah, okay. they're trying right, to yeah. develop a google-like um engine basically um so that they can kind of but with pictures search them yeah exactly oh okay yeah. so they're they're basically pinching data in order to train their yeah, train their algorithm. That's that's fascinating. But yeah, oh man, I mean, what a what an absolutely brutal, although necessary. I, I think. Guess, let them um, get, I don't know. What would you do? Let them get on with it or prosecute mm, them? It's a difficult one. Isn't it? 
probably both. I think probably let them get on with it because they're helping them now, mm. but then also make sure that they have some kind of boundaries set against them in terms of this is how you need to behave. After the war is finished, yeah. Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think, like Jatinder says, you've got to decouple the two things, really. Well, are they going to make, yeah. are they going to get financial gain? Because they're doing it and they're sort of releasing the good cause element, they're still going yeah. to get competitive advantage from doing that, which they'll then subsequently use for financial gain Profits. after the war's finished. Now, is that, is that, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound. Yeah, because right. it's still, it even though sound it's. not right, does it? Yeah, actually, I'd not thought of that. Yes, so they're, they, they will still be training gaining from and people's getting data misery. On. They're gaining from mm, people's misery yeah. financially. They they shouldn't be allowed to do that, should they? Maybe no, okay, you can benefit the war. Then you and then, yeah, I don't know. Uh, tricky one. There's that. an episode in that, isn't mm. there? The ethics of yeah, whether or not they should absolutely. be allowed to do that in the first place. Because if it leads to even one person being being able to recover a loved one's remains or identify them or whatever, then that's that's worth it, right? But at the same mm. time, yeah, wow. Okay, that's a <laughs> that's a whole thing. Let's not get into that now. But yeah, that's maybe one to Quite make deep, a... deep, isn't it? Well, yeah. it's, I'm serious. It's maybe one to think about doing an episode on at some I'll point. Put it but on our there's probably other cases. There's probably yeah. other cases where things like that have have popped up, you know, where it's kind of six or one, half dozen of the other. Anyway, this yeah. episode is not about that. This episode is about rights repair. So I'm going to be talking through a few thoughts that I had on this. It's something that I'm particularly interested in, but I'm interested to know what you guys know about rights repair to start with. Are you Have you been following anything to do with this trend recently in the tech industry or... I haven't been following news articles on it, no, but um, I'm aware of what it is and it's been something that I've been thinking about personally for a few years, definitely, particularly because I have a lot of Apple products. Mm, (laughs) Oh, we're going to come on to them. As as Will will no doubt rib me for, uh, a lot of this is to do with Apple, but that's because they're not covering themselves in glory in this space. I think, though, it's fair to say a lot do it. I just like... You know, oh no! Sealed I'm, I'm units. Gonna, and, yeah, I'm going to highlight many examples. But yeah, you're right. The things you're talking about. So let's be let's be really clear about what we're banging on about here. So right to repair is essentially if you buy a thing, be it a car, a train, a plane, a you know <laughs> e, e device like a like a laptop, whatever. In theory, you should have the right to repair it, right? And for some for some types of devices like cars, for example, traditionally it's been very much a an open sort of playing field you know people can buy parts from all over the place and 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 even fix things themselves and and that's their right but in technology it's not the case and and it's increasingly moving away from that so things years ago were much easier to repair but these days they're not and the result is e-waste and e-waste is a gigantic problem it's something that we in DDK are particularly passionate about because one of our core values is around recyclability and being kind to our planet and doing green reuse of people's technology in order to make them more green in the way that they deliver technology services because everybody needs to, but there are better ways of doing it, sustainable energy and all sorts of stuff. But e-waste is like the the absolute antithesis of this. So over 50 million tonnes of e-waste are created each year. And just to put that into perspective, this is a stat that I I took from uh, a company called Framework, who we're going to be talking about quite a bit in this episode. So 50 million tonnes of e-waste a year, that's six kilograms or 13 pounds per person on earth per year (laughs) made up of former devices six kilos of devices your phone doesn't weigh six kilos and not everyone on earth actually owns e-devices so that's a pretty eye-watering stat isn't it so yeah absolutely extraordinary the amount of e-waste that we generate and it's getting worse all the time and there's a pretty sinister side to all of this because these days it's got to the point where the relentless march of technology moving on and people always wanting to have the latest thing is now resulting in companies like Amazon so I told you I wasn't going to just target Apple today 
have been caught, and this this really does blow my blow my mind. This this one, they were caught destroying products, unsold products which were brand new, rather than keep them in their warehouses because they have to rotate stock through quickly. So in one week mm. in April, in 2021, a leaked document from inside the Dunfermline warehouse that Amazon operates here in the United Kingdom had 124,000 items in one week marked for destruction and thrown in a bin in April. That's crazy. So there, there are, there's drone footage of literally lorry, lorry loads of bins all wrapped up in plastic wrap being driven off to the local recycling centre with unopened products in them. Okay. That's crazy. But they, re- they are being recycled as opposed well, to landfilled. Well, some of them are, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not being landfilled. They're being okay. recycled, well, but they've so never been opened. So they've never a had a service life. A ra- yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but you know, and how recyclable is it an Amazon Fire know. 7 or whatever, yeah. you know well, what I mean? That's yeah. a good point. So that's 124,000 products from one fulfilment centre in wow. one week and there are 24 such centers in the uk that's so crazy and i'm not saying they're all doing it at the same rate but i mean come on like you know stuff like this this is this is madness so, right sorry the why are they of, throwing these away what's going on because they are they are not considered to be desirable enough by amazon's algorithm and so they are chucking away these slightly older technology products so that they can put the more desirable products in the shop physical and have them. Physical space being yeah. the issue. Then. Physical space being the issue. It will be cheaper through yeah. space and whatever to yeah. throw it than to yep. sell it on, sell it to another reseller, do anything yep. else. Or, don- or donate it to charity. Or donate it's anything else. To, it's cheaper it's, for them. It's, it's or... cheaper for them to, do- to take it to the local recycling centre and have it destroyed than it is for them to, to donate it to people who can't afford devices, for example, for their kids because they're on the breadline or something. Yeah. It's absolute madness, but that's not what this is all about. So it, I'm, what I'm just trying to illustrate is the fact that our culture has become unbelievably wasteful and people just mm-hmm. accept ex- extraordinary amounts of waste, especially electronic waste and e-waste at the moment. And it is just crazy. And there are moves in the opposite direction. And that is where right to repair comes in. So with some particular devices like PCs, laptops, iPads, you know, smartphones, things like this, the chances are that you will want to keep one of these running for a little while. But at the moment, you can't really repair these devices. And why do I in particular care? Well, I have a particular interest in this because I build my own PC. So right now I'm sitting here recording this episode on a tower PC, so a great big box under my desk, which I built myself. So I bought a stack of components and I put it all together and, and you know, did all the software malarkey and everything. And sure enough, computer, right? Now, my PC actually has components from, I think, four iterations ago of my computer. So I've, I've kept parts in there from you know, 10 years ago, because they're still okay. You know, the things like old hard disks and bits and pieces, and uh, they still work. So why get rid of them? You know, I can, I can recycle them. And then the components which I have got rid of, I've either sold on to other people on eBay or I've, I've recycled responsibly. But if you move away from the desktop form factor, you are knackered. You've got no chance of doing anything like that. When was the last time you yeah. bought a laptop and you could just pull the back off it and, and upgrade it and fiddle with it? When was the last Never. time you were able to pull your iPhone out and even put a new battery in the damn thing. You know, you can't because it's all just glued and screwed and and you're not allowed to do that. I remember a few years ago, I went to, I had an iPod touch that I won in a competition and it broke. And I I went to the, it, makes, it just makes my skin crawl even saying this, but I went to the Genius Bar in Apple store, which was like the get help from some bloke in a, you know, oh, Genius right. TV I thought it was, that was a pub or something. No, no. no so if you, if you want to get a, if you want, 
No, I'm embarrassed about going to an Apple store. Um, but but they so they they make you go. And... Is this just like a table that's yeah. called the Genius Bar yeah. in yes. their building? Yes, that's and, exactly. And, what it is. and it's about your funny thing you got about Apple as well, isn't it? Partly, you need well, a bit of therapy, I mean, I think, don't you? Something's happened uh, about you. And Apple. <laughs> I think Apple. I think an Apple did something to me in a former life. Something's maybe I was, maybe, happened yet. Maybe I was Isaac Newton. <laughs> yeah, I've never forgiven uh, it for hitting me. Well, on the head. no, I think that de- that defined his career, didn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, it kind of helped, but you know, it helped a little. Got to hurt. So Apple, yeah. When I I asked if I could repair it, they they forced me to make an appointment and go and sit in an airport lounge style seating area, and, and then and Bastards. then shamble up to the. To the genius bar, where a genius was waiting for me, who was a, a man uh, with a with a tag around his neck saying he was a genius. <laughs> his his repair solution for my broken iPod was to offer me ten percent off the purchase price of a new one. Right. Wow. Yeah. So he didn't repair it at all. Exactly what you needed. Well, no, they did. They did say you can have it repaired, oh, and really? I, I said, okay, okay, how much? And he gave me a price which was uh, more expensive than a new one at full price. Well. <laughs> and I'm not joking. This is this is 100 percent true, right? Mm-hmm. So so great, yeah. Now they're not the only people doing this at all. I mean, right now, right, you know, next to me, I've got a Microsoft Surface Book Two, which is from 2017, I think, or something like that. Absolutely unrepairable. Like, I mean, for, for like 90 percent of people, like the same problems, same issues. You know, all glued together. No sportability for user repairs. Um, if you do take it to repair centers, then they have to be certain sanctioned ones and so on and so forth. It's absolute madness. Totally unupgradable because all of the components are soldered directly onto the motherboard. So you can't, with my big PC, I can pull things like sticks of RAM. I can take the processor off. I can you know, change stuff as much as I like and do the build process in reverse almost to tear it down and then put new bits in and what have you. Absolutely no way I could do that with this Microsoft device because it's all just literally, you know, it's welded onto the motherboard. So you can't change anything, right? So I have no, even though I have the right to repair under law, I can't because of the way they've built the device. Uh, do you? So that was one of my questions, actually. Is Yeah. Because so, does law support you? Because I, I thought it broke your warranty as soon as you kind of broke the seal on a, on a laptop. Well, do you know what I mean? So there is a big push get back against some of these practices, and we're going to mm-hmm. come on to those in a little okay. bit. So I'll actually park the answer to that okay. question if I may, but yep. but yeah. Now, why do people do this stuff, and and why is you know why is it important? It's important. There are various examples of why people sort of behave like this. In the case of my Surface Book, it's arguable that there are some reasons because of the fact that the screen effectively snaps off the keyboard and can be waved around as a tablet separately and stuff. But the real reason they do it is, uh, uh, you know, people have claimed that the reason they do this is it's for your own good. Because they've basically said a device can, and this is a direct quote from Apple, a device cannot possibly be, I think it's a direct quote from Apple anyway. Um, well, let's make it a, be, a direct quote from Apple. <laughs> it is now. Yeah, it is now. <laughs> I'm attributing it to Apple probably <laughs> wrongly. Come at me, bros. Anyway, uh, a device cannot possibly be repairable by the common man and yet also be sleek, desirable, and fun to use. Okay, so We're the are common saying, man, we did, are we? Yeah. Okay. If we did make them repairable, then they would be crap, basically. They wouldn't right. be what you want. They wouldn't be Gucci. They wouldn't be cool. You know, they'd uh-huh. just be all over the show. And, you know, there are examples of this where, for example, uh, Linus Sebastian, do either of you guys watch Linus Tech Tips YouTube channel? No. Massive reach. No. 50 million subscribers or something. Okay. Not not named after Linus Torvalds either. Mm, before that's you, what I thought. You, no, he isn't. It's just a 
coincidence that he's another big, he's another Linus in tech. But anyway, so he, I watched a video a while ago where he got one of these uh, new Apple devices, which was a, a sort of computer in a screen type jobby. It's one of the ones that costs about 10 grand, you know, really expensive. And he, he ripped it open because he wanted to show everyone what components were inside it. And because he's a fabulously rich YouTuber, he can risk doing things like this. And he broke it as he tried to get it apart, which is something he has form for. And in order to get it fixed, what he had to do was basically go to an authorized dealer who Apple have authorized as a repairer and get him to get the dealer to sell him the parts under the table, effectively on the black market with a promise of anonymity. Because if that authorized dealer had sold him the, the parts rather than doing the review, the repair themselves, they'd be blacklisted effectively or, or disallow listed from, wow. from ever being able to repair Apple devices again. Because what they're trying to do is extend the wall garden around the people who do the repairs as well, so that they're all still yeah. part of the same ecosystem. And then effectively make the repairs so expensive that you won't want to do it, basically. Mm. The independent repair, repair program that Apple launched in 2019... Uh, where you have to be an Apple certified technician. So this is one of the people that he bought from anonymously. They basically, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 there's a company called iFixit who who do a lot of these, uh, they sell repair kits and stuff. I'll talk about them in a minute. But basically they said, um, this feels more like a PR move or a grumbling compliance type move rather than an attempt to solve the actual problem because Apple now have a death grip on the repair market for their own devices. So even though they're saying you can get it repaired, you can only get it repaired if you get it repaired by somebody that they have got an agreement with, which is, again, madness. Just to kind of chip in here, a friend of mine I've known for a long time used to have an independent computer repair shop in a small town in the Midlands. And it was one place where me and a friend of mine used to go to learn about computers and technology by just observing how he'd take apart computers and replace parts People randomly come in with problems. Some of them were savvy, like I, they knew what they wanted and uh, how much it cost and how easy it was to replace that part. Or some people come in that didn't really know what they wanted, but they just knew there was a problem with their computer. But he was able to do all of that within an hour, two hours, mm. take apart these devices and, and replace these things. But he has now gone out of business because devices after in the last, let's say, 10 years, have become so much like how you've described that they're difficult to repair, they're no longer economically viable to repair, and companies like Apple are, are creating these kind of communities that you have to have bought into for them to, to be able to do that. So that market for independent computer repair shops has kind of diminished. If you look around the country, there's probably not that many around anymore compared to what they mm. used to be back 15, 20 years ago. And people like me may not have had that kind of interest to get into this industry if we hadn't have been there like helping him out or being in his shop chatting to him and trying to talk about like these little geeky things about what these components are that kind of genuine interest on, on kind of technology where it was a bit of a community thing where he just let these random kids hang out in his shop to, to kind of learn about computers whilst he was repairing them for for local businesses and local organizations and i guess that's represented in the diversification of IT and devices as well. So phones, I know you've talked a bit about Apple. They've all become very much similar in terms of you now need to have specialist certifications in certain technologies to be able to kind of take them apart, to be able to repair pieces. And again, he, he wasn't able to grow his business in a way that would allow him to do that. 
Uh, and unfortunately, his business has died and he's had to do something else. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, it is it is a huge problem. And the other thing that's even more sinister with all of this is planned obsolescence. So again, yeah. Apple got nailed for this a little while ago where they had built code into, I think it was, the, I can't remember which generation of iPhone it was, but definitely one of them all over the news where essentially they just turned down the performance of the device so that it would get slow after a few years. six and seven, yeah. uh, around six or seven, I think. So planned obsolescence. So they're, they're deliberately engineering performance degradation into their devices. And again, they are not the only people that do this. You know, there are people who, well, there's a there's a quite a lot of theories that people are putting batteries in devices which will deliberately start to lose their capacity uh, much quicker than they could be doing because electric cars very very different type of battery packs and stuff like that and battery management systems but in theory there are some uh, measures you can move across to make batteries manage themselves better but they you know again they're they're not doing that because it's much better if your battery does start to die in your device because then you'll just get frustrated with it and buy a new one. Now, some manufacturers don't do this. You know, you, Samsung and, and people have still got replaceable batteries in a lot of their units, but it, it is more and more of a problem when you can't get hold of components and bits and bobs. And also the software and, and the, even the firmware within devices is deliberately detuning them, you know, taking their performance away over time so that you will feel, oh, this, this is rubbish now. It's got so slow. I've, and the number of people who aren't technical who I've had say to me, oh, I've got, I had to get a new laptop. My old one just got so slow. And I was just thinking, yeah. well, you could just reinstall the OS and everything, and you'd probably find that it sped up again, you know, but, but people don't know how to do this stuff. They just think that they, they sort of wear out over time. Anyway, there is hope, however. So have either of you guys heard of Framework, other than the fact that I mentioned them at the beginning of the podcast? No. Okay, you're going to love these guys, Will. You should look mm-hmm. them up because they're right up your street, I think. So Framework is a company that I, if I had loads of spare cash, I'd probably be investing in at the moment, to be honest, because I think they're doing something very cool. So basically what, they, what they're doing is they're a bunch of ex-Lenovo and I'm just trying to find my, my notes on who it is. Anyway, they're a bunch of engineers who come from very big manufacturers of laptops and and people who are actual designers of devices. So they're people who in the past have actually gone and worked for these really big companies um, and they have been responsible for designing the you know the, the motherboards and the architectures and, and the stuff that fits inside the case of various different laptops and, and tablets and God knows what else. What they've done is they've formed a new company which is called Framework and they have designed their own laptop. So they've used all the knowledge that they've accumulated from these various different manufacturers. They've sourced all the components and it's taken them, I think it took them 18 months to get to the first one. And they've created a laptop which is completely repairable, like 100% repairable. So when you get it, there's two ways you can buy it. And it looks really sleek, by the way. It looks really, really like a, like a MacBook or something. You know. So going back to that quote from earlier, if we made something repairable, it would look like crap, effectively. I'm paraphrasing. But it look, they look really, really nice, these devices. I think we should get one to play with. And if you buy the, the DIY edition, it basically comes as a kit which you assemble yourself and you save yourself $300 on the purchase price of the assembled version. But you can spec it however you want and everything comes apart. So you can pull the bezel off, you can take the screen out of your laptop chassis and replace it with another screen, which is better resolution. You can pop the motherboard out, you can take the processor off, you can... You, literally, you can pull it apart just like you would with a desktop PC. And every this is really cool, right? Every component has a sticker on it. And if you scan the QR code on that individual component, it takes you to the website where you can then choose an upgrade for that individual component. 
as in like, like it's like a pre-search. And also, and this is stuff for like that only people who've built their own computers in the past will really understand, but the screws inside are color-coded. So if it's a screw for the, like the processor housing, it will be yellow. But if it's a screw to hold the memory in place, it will be red. And I, I cannot tell you how useful that actually is. <laughs> because like a big Meccano set. Exactly. And when you pop the back off the laptop, there are spare screws inside because you always lose the bloody things. And they've actually put like they've taped it or not taped. They've got little holders, but they've actually put like extra holes in and then put some spare screws in so that if you lose them during the install, you don't have to go to the website to get new ones. Like literally everything about this device is built so that you can pull it to pieces yourself. And that also means you can repair it. Things like the IO, so things like HDMI ports and USB ports and things like that, they all come as these little modules, which just slot into the side of the laptop. So you can literally pull them out and put other ones in kind of whenever you like. So if you if you want to go from USB-C to USB-C ports to a Thunderbolt port or something, just buy the module, swap it, done. You know, not not permanently soldered into the case, not under 10 layers of glue and screws and and destroying your warranty right absolutely awesome really really cool idea and the end product is has been very very well reviewed so the first one that came out first framework laptop is available in the uk now so yeah it's got sort of four out of five stars or even higher you know some some places good review sites as well that i trust have, have reviewed it really really well and it looks great you know it's really really quite snazzy piece of kit so all of it (laughs) All of it is nonsense. All this stuff about you can't make a repairable device that's also desirable because it will look awful and it is, it's nonsense. It's bollocks. None of it's true, right? And I think Linus, um, going back to Linus uh, Sebastian, the guy who runs Linus Tech Tips, he nailed this when he did his own review of the device and he said, the only reason other companies don't do this and Framework have proved this is because they don't care. Because they don't, you know, and and... I, I just think it's it's very commendable that somebody out there is doing this now. And interestingly, there have been moves by other manufacturers to try and copy some of this. It'd be interesting to see how popular it is. Because mm, I suppose it's yeah. not it's not for everyone, is it? No. No, People, I mean obviously it appeals I mean, to me in I particular. Suppose, <laughs> I, yeah, and it and it appeals to me to an extent. But if it makes maintenance cheaper, because actually replacing parts by whoever be it you or a third party yeah or or jatinder's mate who owned that shop do you know what i mean and it makes lots of third party industries spring up because it's just it's it's the way to go then i think that's even more successful than a kind of if their use case is purely just hobbying do you know what i mean it, it's how it's how big this 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 can become that scalability question would be quite useful to understand in terms of can they can a framework sell and make available many devices as Apple do of their latest phones and stuff? Is it that scalable and that global, uh, or are there some savings from a manufacturing perspective by not doing that and by having built-in components on devices? Yeah, so almost unquestionably there are savings because Apple have been doing this. Big companies like Apple have been doing this for a very, very, very long time. You know, they've it's like when we were talking about electric cars and the carbon costs in the last episode of producing an electric car being much higher than an ice car, you know, once you've been doing something for a long time, you really do get the efficiencies in the manufacture. So it probably is not as efficient. And yeah, you know, it, it appeals to hobbyists, but also don't forget you can buy a fully built version of this to whatever spec that you want. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. that when it arrives, you you will never open it up. But if if you do 
need to have it repaired. Or if you did want to upgrade it, you could take it to someone who knows what they're doing and they could open it up without mm-hmm. having to chisel their way through layers of glue and, and you know, deal with soldering things onto motherboards and stuff. You know, it makes it so you can just buy one and use it like a like an, uh, a MacBook or something, you know, and never open the lid. But the thing is, you've got the option. Because car manufacturers, right, have, you know, making cars, there's the car, there's the actual car manufacturers, but there's massive amounts of third party industries on the back of that yeah. uh, in terms of this, you know, the different companies for repairing the supply chain, et cetera, et cetera. And if yeah. that, you know, there's, there could be a whole industry spun up on the back of actually this right to repair idea and the example you've just mm. given, Julian. Well, what's interesting though is that say something like framework, I mean, you're buying a device which is intrinsically both repairable and upgradable. And at the point where it becomes cheaper for companies to upgrade their existing fleet of devices rather than throwing them all in the bin and mm-hmm. just doing a full tech refresh every few, few years. So no, at the moment, there's no way, because Framework are a small company. You know, they're only one tiny little company. Well, is it? Is it UK or US? Or? Uh, US, I think. US. But, that, you know, they're tiny at the moment. So no, they can't match Apple or anybody like that in terms of providing the same amount of supply. But in theory, in a few years, they could if they did well. And I'm not Still suggesting seed. that they're the only answer, you know, but they're, yeah, I mean, they are literally getting seed funding at the moment and stuff. You know, they've run a few rounds of it and, and they've been very well reviewed, but it's niche. It's really niche. I'll tell you a little, a little story about Fitbit, because we can move on our bashing of companies from Apple to to another US company, <laughs> Fitbit. Yeah, sure. <laughs> they and, and it brings up an interesting example, actually, and an interesting industry is that Fitbit, as you may or may not know, sell um, fitness devices, and usually, and and most of them are watches. And I bought a very expensive Fitbit watch and subscribe to their fit the fitbit their fitbit services with their fitbit app that goes on your not fitbit phone <laughs> and they they the phone went wrong and it was just this bit of the strap right nothing to do with the very complex internals of this particular device um i told fitbit this they didn't even bother asking me to return the device they just sent me a brand new one and this was like a 250 pound mm. device right they didn't even say get you me to prove the fact that this got wrong. It was purely on the basis of what I said. And for me, the reason why they did that, and it's highly inefficient, the reason they did that is because they make more money out of the services, the, the services that they sell that run on the hardware than the hardware itself. The hardware itself is just a conduit, if you like, for them to bring you in, entice you, to then sell all the services, and that's where the money is. That's why Microsoft's have shifted to you know, services and all the rest of it. That's, yeah, that, I think that's it's, where they find that's where they make most of their. It's very money. common. I mean, every single thing I've ever tried to return to Apple, uh, to Apple, God, I've got Apple on the brain. To Amazon, they've always just replaced without question. And yeah. if I'm honest, that's the reason that they that I shop with them a lot of the time. Well, I was really pleased. I was, I was really happy with the fact, oh my God, look, Fitbit have sent me a brand new device. They don't even question why I've, what's gone wrong with it. They just sent me a brand new, which was, I was quite pleased with because the device was about a year and a half old. But you think about the waste that that's involved in. Yeah. That, you know, afterwards. Did, it's you, like, oh my did God. you have to give them the old one back? Nope, I've still got it. And, <laughs> I, and I haven't thrown it away. I've just got what, what I'm having, I'm becoming a kind of hoarder. Because I you can have one on each arm. I, I, well, It'll I make you look like you're yeah. on my ankles. <laughs> you know, my children. He wears champion. My children, yeah. yeah. Or my mate. You'll, Everyone you'll be I doing know. Eight thousand steps <laughs> rather than four. Yeah. I'm not sure it adds up. But the point being, I don't want to throw it away. I want. I'm keep no. it. I'm kind of hoarding it because I don't want to dispose of it, and I can't. Mm. I don't know where you would dispose of a, you know, a 
a slightly broken Fitbit watch with all these mm. complex intricacies of the electronics. It's not something that you know it's going to. Well, they're going to yeah. break apart in, in my sort of in my community recycling center, is it? They're not well, going to have a Fitbit. Yeah. I mean, that's going back to the the whole story up at the top, isn't it? About Amazon dumping all these e-products into yeah. recycling centers, yeah. and that it's not like some magic Amazon recycling center that's capable of breaking a Fitbit down. It's just a recycling center. Mm. So then, you know, they're going to go in the big bin with all the other it's consumer gonna go electronics. Landfill. It's going to go. Ultimately, I, mean, I reckon oh, it will go landfill. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they claim they claim that nothing does, but yeah. I mean, you know, who knows what the recycling center does with it? Maybe they ship it all to some poor, you know, country on the other side of the world or something. You know, I mean, this stuff around recycling not being real is a whole other topic, isn't it? But anyway, final thing I wanted to cover really briefly, because I think, you know, this is this is scandalous, the way that we throw so much stuff away and that people are just so used now to not buying devices that can be repaired. There are some companies trying to do stuff about this and there are some laws. So very, very quickly, because we're running short on time, as a company called iFixit, I mentioned earlier on, they sell kits for repairing specific issues with particular devices, which are supposedly unrepairable. So if, for example, you have a Nintendo Switch and you have Joy-Con drift, which is basically is a massive problem with the Switch console, where the little joysticks that you use or thumbsticks that you use to move your characters around and what have you, they will start to drift. So they will start to register an input, even though you're not actually pressing them. So you'll, you know, it'll screw your games up. There's a little kit that they sell, for example, that comes with not only all the tools that you need to pop the side off this thing and a step-by-step video guide are kind of attached to it all on, on the internet, but it also comes with the spare parts that you need. So you can buy the whole thing as a self-contained kit and then do the repair at home. That's quite a cool idea. In terms of the, the law, so here in the UK, there is a new law that was recently introduced, basically trying to enshrine right to repair in law for, the, for people in the UK. At the moment, unfortunately, it only covers a limited number of devices. So it covers dishwashers, washing machines, wash dryers, refrigerators, televisions, and electronic displays, and also some some non-consumer products like electric motors, retail refrigerators, light sources, things like this, right? So it covers a few things, but this is the best bit, right? Despite what you might assume, electronic displays does not cover smartphones, iPads, or laptops. (laughs) 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 So... Make of that what you will, you know, whether it's Apple or Microsoft or whoever lobbying the UK government. But yeah, no, not covered. So those are are not part of it. And that law basically just says, you know, you must ensure that devices are repairable and blah, blah, blah. And those devices have always been sort of repairable by people anyway. It sounds like a bloody token gesture to me. Yep. So yeah, legislation aims to extend the life cycle of a range of devices by up to 10 years, but you're not including the devices which are causing the biggest problem. So well done, lawmakers. So in in the US, uh, Joe Biden recently signed uh, an executive order directing the Federal Trade Commission to draft new legislations limiting device manufacturers' ability to restrict independent repairs of their products. Basically, uh, it's a sweeping order that's aiming to deal with everything from banking to tech platforms and everything and saying essentially that things must be repairable and that you're not allowed to have this walled garden because it's particularly bad in the states where people are saying you can only use our repairers and so on and so forth interestingly probably the most progressive example i could find was the french so in france there is a there is a system that they've introduced where you know uh, and this our british listeners will know this well but Essentially, on the front of foods, which are packaged in the UK, you have this thing called a traffic light system, which basically has red, amber, green for how healthy the food is, and then various stats about the food, 
slapped on the front of the box. And you have to have that on all foods in the UK, I think, or most of them anyway. So what the French have done is created the Indice de Reparability, something like that. Well done. No, it's wrong. I mean, I haven't even pronounced no, it. No, no, that was sounded good. Sounded, sounded good, good, yeah. Yeah, that's what matters. Yep. Reparabilit, no, maybe? Okay, sorry. Don't do it again. You, you, you peaked. Yeah, you, you peaked. ruined Anyway, what this is, is a red, amber, green system with a score that says how repairable the device is, and it's mandatory on all devices, I think, or most devices anyway. So when you go and buy a phone, on the front of the packet, it will have 5 out of 5 out of 10 and an amber, for example, for how repairable that device is. Mm, The problem that I found when I had a good look through it was that, unfortunately, the algorithm that is used to calculate the score... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> isn't perfect no, yeah no, no, no. and so unfortunately a lot of devices which are basically impossible to repair are getting good scores but you know if they can fix that problem that's quite a good idea it right because like at least idea. it's saying to the consumer yeah. remember know, we had that repairable. we talked about that about having an environmental impact on products that would show mm. like that how far it's traveled or 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 um, how mm. well the staff are treated and it was a kind of big going to be a yeah. traffic light system yeah Sounds similar uh, to that. So, yes. It sounds like it's on that so, path. Yeah, but it's specifically yeah. around how repairable a device is. Mm. And if you're interested in that, repair.eu is the European Union rep- right to repair platform that is sort of collating all the information around efforts across Europe, including the UK. Including sort of the UK. No, we're not Don't part of Europe. Start, we're still part of Europe. We're just not in the European Union. Are we? Are we anyway. part of Europe? How? In what sense? In what sense are we part of Europe? Anyway. Let, let's park that. We okay. haven't got time. We'll have an argument right, later. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that could be the end credits bit for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, what a, I mean, concluding thoughts. I know I've talked too much probably this episode, but it, it is something that's close to my heart. I mean, what a miserable topic. We need to fix this, right? Because it, it's just the amount of e-waste we're producing. We're just tumbling down a down a hill towards ruin. You know that we mm. we've got to look after our planet. And this, if you make devices repairable and more long lived, that will result in less waste. So and people. General people out there who are not technology professionals and others need to adjust their attitudes and not be... I know a lot of the time it's the manufacturers pushing people into this, but we all need to be more conscious of trying to make our devices last longer, not be so obsessed with having the latest thing and think about what it's doing to the planet and our futures. Yeah, that's a difficult one. That The last statement, I, I mean, that I sort of agree with... I agree with the fact that things need to be upgradable right and repairable are the sort of bully boy antics of the large corporations to seal their device in order that they can control them and that wall garden approach i don't think is think is sensible but people and i count myself in this want latest devices they like shiny tech we promote mm. the fact that we always have gucci devices right for the people that work <laughs> for us yeah yeah um, so true. it's difficult one to to bring together the fact and and I, I think you can bring it together if you make your devices easy to upgrade because actually what you're not doing is replacing a device with something new or in its entirety we're doing what you do with your PC, Julian, is that you upgrade the bits that you want to upgrade. So your case, you know, and your PC has probably been around as long as I have. Oh, yeah. But your CPU <laughs> or your, or your <laughs> Yeah, all right, all right. Yeah, I exaggerate slightly. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> your, it's, it's your not CPU, made of wood. Your, <laughs> <laughs> your, it's a mud. Your CPU and your memory 
or, or your graphics card, you know, the things that are really important to make things run faster, you upgrade. And, and, and that is and a much I, more Well, and I recycle because I sell them on to other people who can can make yeah. further use of those components. I don't mm. just chuck them in landfill when I'm done with them. But I'd balk at the fact of telling people or, or, or suggesting that people should not upgrade or try and hold on to devices longer. You know, do you know what I mean? I, 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 I'm not sure that would work. I'm not sure that way. it makes it. I think it's <laughs> well, easier for people to making it easier to upgrade. I think is is the answer. Yeah, I mean, so okay, sure, maybe that's slightly more nuanced take, but I do think that everybody as individuals has a responsibility to think: Do I really need to buy an iPhone every eighteen months or something like that? I think there's maybe something to it. I mean, I certainly keep my devices going longer than other people that I know because there's nothing wrong with them. And the fact that I can't upgrade them is annoying. I would if I could. But at the same time, I think there is a responsibility on the individual as well. For me, at least, that's just my personal take. Maybe I'm being a bit too brash in the way I'm saying it. But I think you kind of do have to look at your purchasing habits sometimes. And there's a there's a balance to strike between always having the latest thing every year and just being plain wasteful, I think, for me at least. What do you think, JK? I think we should invest in Framework. I think that uh, <laughs> companies like Framework coming out with these kind of new ways of being able to help solve this kind of problem quite interesting and we should try to to kind of invest in them especially as you say that they're trying to hit the right balance of looking slick but then also giving you devices that you can change components in yeah i think interesting that's to see if they do in the more complex devices so i think maybe laptop yeah. is a is maybe a, I don't say easy, it's not easy, but you know what I mean? It's maybe more upgradable in terms of individual components. When you start looking at phones or watches, you know, you're mm, really yeah. down into miniature tech there. I mean, how they, yeah, how's that yeah. going to work? Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if they have any aspirations to even get into that space. But yeah. I, anyway, I, I just think it's an important topic and definitely mm. one that's worth highlighting, the whole rights repair thing. And, and the you know, we just can't go on producing as much e-waste as we do. But yeah, there are Indeed. other things that can be done, like improving recyclability and all sorts of stuff, but we can get into that another time. Anyway, um, I've talked for too long and probably too much in this episode. Apologies to anyone who's sick of the sound of my voice. Let's do the recommendation section really quickly and then wrap up. So, Will, did you want to go first with your recommendation? Okie dokie. So this sort of was a follow-on from my uh, W. Boson news article. About a month ago, I read The World According to Physics. A light read, a light bedtime read. Author Jim Al-Kahali, he's a UK professor of physics. So this is a book, basically, that takes complex subjects, complex subjects such as quantum, space-time, thermodynamics, and explains it to a simpleton like myself. And I love this book as, one, I'm interested in how things work, but I always think that people that that have truly mastered their subject is that they can explain it using plain English to someone like me. And as soon as someone escapes, you know, from plain English and starts using acronyms or techno gobbledygook to explain their subject matter, the only a select group of people will understand their scientific chums, then I, I get suspicious they don't really understand the topic themselves. So this this is a great book if you want to understand about general theory of relativity or how energy and matter influences space-time or that standard model of particle physics we talked about before. Basically how everything works in the universe. And it makes you sound intelligent if you can quote some of the things that are in the book, which is a, a neat <laughs> trick for me. <laughs> wow. If it can make you sound intelligent, Indeed, Will. Yeah, I mean, that is impressive. So World According to Physics, Jim al So I'm pretty sure 
that I'm right in saying you're butchering his name and it's Jim Al-Khalili from Radio 4, okay. I think. Because he's he does... So he is um, the host of Infinite Monkey Cage, I think it is, with Brian Cox. You know Brian Cox, the physicist yes, who is yeah. on the, on, with the floppy hair who is in D-Ream. So he, him and Jim Al-Khalili are the hosts of that show, which I really like, or really used to really like. I don't commute in the car so much anymore, so I don't listen to it as often. But yeah, uh, he's awesome. He's really funny as well. If you hear him speaking and, and doing speeches and stuff, he's, he's great. So yeah, big fan of Jim Al-Khalili. I didn't even know he'd put that out, so I'm going to have to read that now. Jacinda, did you want to go next with your recommendation? Yeah, so I'd like to recommend subscribing to the moneysavingexpert.com and his monthly newsletter. So as everybody's probably aware and feeling the pinch right now, all of the kind of cost of living in the UK um, has gone up. So energy prices, car insurance, home insurance, all of these things. And what I found is having a subscription to the money saving expert who comes on TV, he's got his uh, TV show and comes on social media, does podcasts and TV interviews and stuff. Him and his team put a lot of effort into looking at lots of different ways where people can save money and find different ways in which to cut their costs of living, giving discount codes and all of that kind of stuff out. And I've always found it to be a useful source of information to have. So I'd just like to recommend that to everybody else, particularly at this time where lots of people are feeling the pinch in terms of their kind of financial impact to cost of living. Yeah, uh, Martin Lewis, isn't it, I think? Correct, The, the, yeah. the guy who runs it, yeah. Uh, yeah, good recommendation. Um, so mine, just to tie everything off quickly, is the easy one electric car charger. So I uh, was on the hunt for an electric car charger recently. I've recently moved over to owning an EV. Easy, so E-A-S-E-E is the way it's spelled, are a uh, Nordic company. They're founded in Norway to produce an electric car charger that isn't hideously ugly. And most of them are, like unbelievably ugly, I found, and uh, just awful looking things with massive great cables dangling everywhere and all sorts. The easy one is like a, they call it a charging robot. Why they call it a robot, I don't know. But it comes with a with a lifetime subscription to a four, to the 4G network at the moment, if you buy one right now. You can also connect it to Wi-Fi. It comes with a really, really good app where you can schedule the charging of your car and, and change the brightness of the LEDs on the front and stuff. Um, and it's a really small, compact unit that looks pretty on the outside of your house and sort of sleek. And it also comes with interchangeable faceplates. So if you want to change, it doesn't come with them, but you can buy them. And you can swap the, the color. So if you've got a you know bright, I don't know, green front door or something, you can swap your faceplate on your charger to be green. So yeah, the easy one car charger, uh, it, it charges uh, seven and a half kilowatts if you've got the right fuse. There are industrial versions of it available. They've uh, built them so that you can chain up to three of them together. So if you're charging lots of electric cars across multiple spaces, you can very easily link them all on the same circuit, which my electrician was quite excited about. Yeah, really good product. Easy one car charger. Nice. And I think chaps that is the show so thank you very much to anybody who's uh, been listening out there uh, sorry this was slightly longer than usual but important topic i think if you want to get hold of us we are we would love to hear from you actually if you want to write into the show it's always good to hear from people so we are available on ddkpod at ddklimited.com that's ddkpod at ddklimited.com also available on twitter at ddklimited with limited spelled out in full and on linkedin we are dalton they candola so uh, just remains for me to say thank you very much once again, to everybody who's listening, and thanks to Alinja Tinder. See you next time. See ya. Thank you. 
Can you, can you, um, when I do Jim Al-Khalili? Al-Khalili. Al-Khalili. Can you like over, over, can you dub it? So it goes Jim. (laughs) Jim (laughs) Al-Khalili. 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 No, he's, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely the same guy. You should read the book actually. If you like, if you like in any way physics, it's just the way he, he explains yeah. something so complex in such. I think he might such, be. Such, I think I might way. be right in saying he's a stand-up comedian as well as about oh, really? physics and stuff. Like he's, he's. Awesome. I'm sure. Like he's, he's really funny. Like really good on. Yeah, he'll probably be uh, listening yeah. to our podcast and using it as part of his material. I certainly hope he is. Yeah, I, awesome. I really like um, what he does. <laughs>